Hello, and welcome to the Marvel Cinema Podcast. I am your co-host, Henry. I am your other co-host, Matthew. And today, we are doing an episode all about underrated movies, in our opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yeah, so I hope you enjoy this. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Marvel Cinema Podcast, where we do daily reviews, uh, weekly podcasts. Uh, at the moment, we're just wrapping up our Pixar in review. Um, and then... After that, we might be doing something rhyming with Spider-Man. We also have steam halfway through that sentence. Yeah, I was going to think of something really clever, but there it is, not clever. Um, So (laughs) we also have a Twitter account at Cinema Marvelous where we're doing the exact same thing just on Twitter. Uh, daily reviews, weekly podcast on Monday. By the way, I should probably say that on Monday we do the we upload mm-hmm. the podcast usually. Um, but yeah, today discussing just you know movies that are maybe hated, maybe disliked, maybe kind of thought of as just fine that we think deserve a bit more overall praise. Maybe mm-hmm. um, we want to send some appreciation their way. Yeah. Uh, so do you want to get started? We can do. Do to go first? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I've got one that I've been. It seems, it seems like on uh, on Instagram, a load of other um, review people that we're sort oh. of in contact with. They've they've been doing um, their reviews of the MCU recently, mm-hmm. and one of the uh, one of the films in the comment section, one of the films that I've been really banging the drum of, <laughs> is that of Doctor Strange. Ah, yes, you love this film. <laughs> I do. Mm. This is gonna be my first pick. Don't worry, I've only sort of got one one Marvel film here. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna overload the list and skew the sample. <laughs> um everybody can be calm. So yeah, I just wanna talk a bit about Doctor Strange. Um it's not hated, I don't think. No, it's well liked, I think. Yeah, it's just uh, a lot of the time it sits in the middle of the park for people mm. in the MCU. Yeah. I've, I'm yet to come across somebody who hates it or dislikes it. I think, mm-hmm. but I just, I just, I just want to bump its stock up a little bit <laughs> because I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. It's one of my, it's, it's definitely in the top ten, maybe edging towards the top five because there are a lot of good Ooh. films there. Yeah, they are. There are quite a few. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think it obviously has for me the best visuals of the MCU and for. A, in fact, a lot of comic book films. Yeah, kind of. It's a very much a high a high point for just pure imagination in terms of VFX, at least of just because you can do whatever they want. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think we have we have excellent performances from Benedict or Big Boy Ben. <laughs> Big Boy Ben, Sherlock himself. Um, mm-hmm. Great performance from him. The accent's a bit cheesy, but I'm all for cheese, so pile it all it's, on. It's like a, <laughs> I don't know what it's like, but it's just like a, it looks, it sounds like a, someone like put a sleeping pill in his drink <laughs> and he's just like kind of, kind of slurring his words a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, um, I'm a fan of Rick Grimes on the Walking Dead TV show, so I, I love a good over the top accent, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> But yeah, um, I also I also love Tilda Swinton in this. I think she does an excellent job as the ancient one. Mm, mm. Um, I also like Chirrutle. Is that a question? 
uh, Triple Edge Year Four, I think. Wow, I would never, I could never get that name right. <laughs> I've, I've, I'm saying it a lot actually. I don't know why. It's a, it's a cool sounding name. It really is. This needs like some practice. <laughs> also, it it, le- it leaves it open to have the nickname of Chewy, which <laughs> I would want personally to be associated with an iconic Star Wars character. Yeah. Um, but for me, as well, aside from the visuals and all that, I just love aspects like how philosophical it can be. Mm, yeah. I just love that that we have that in in a comic book movie. I also think it's written really well. A lot of the dialogue for me absolutely works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there are so many lines in this which just sort of every now and then they just enter my head and I'm like, oh, what a cool line. <laughs> like, I, I, always, I always remember um, Mordo saying. Ledger for saying the bill comes due. Mm, yeah, me, that's just the, and then it says it earlier on. Then he says it again. It's like the bill comes due every <laughs> time. <laughs> Which I absolutely love that. Um, also, the balcony scene with the ancient one and Doctor Strange, where you have the lightning bolt. Mm. Oh, it's beautiful. That's a that's a highlight of the whole MCU for me. I think. Mm, I absolutely adore that scene. It's it's one of the ones I put on my story recently, or the story mm. for the uh, the podcast. Yeah, but yeah, that's just it's just so good. The conversation they have, how how deep it is, but also how just how well it fits in with the film, and how it's just a beautiful moment of let's just stop, take a minute, while also maintaining the the tone and the uh, the pace of the film. Yeah, it's like a well, like literally in a the movie, they say that they're stretching out time. So it feels literally like the movie is stopping time for a bit mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to have a moment of just actually kind of talking about what the movie is about in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I think I also kind of appreciate it. And I don't generally care about things being explained in like a in logical reality sense, but I really appreciate it when they uh, explain magic in a, they kind of uh, talked about it for a bit as like, um, sort of like computer coding it's kind of like you're hacking into the mainframe of the universe <laughs> and mm. then just changing it and I think that's just a kind of a, a really cool and kind of simple way of reeling it to like audiences of just it's kind of like there's already something there in the universe that's magical and we're just messing on with it a bit <laughs> mm. um, yeah I think, that's, I think it's a really strong movie but I have to admit I do think the what do you think about the villain um, in the movie I don't think I don't think I don't think it's he's bad. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I like Mads Mikkelsen. Mm-hmm. I think he's an excellent actor. Could have been given a bigger role in the MCU. Definitely could have, yeah. If I think, especially now, I think he could have been an excellent Doctor Doom. Oh my god! Yeah, he would have been. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's unfortunate, and he has a habit of having that ha- happen to him because. It was in Star Wars in a fairly minor role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Never again. I, <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's fine for the plot. I think mm-hmm. he delivers his lines much like the rest of the cast where, you know, a lot of it sounds really quotable. Yeah. But he feels a lot like a... He feels more like a head henchman more than a villain, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, he feels like a... Uh, just someone who needs to be there so that the plot has something to go against. It's just... Mm. 
And I think they, I think they kind of hint towards him having a sympathetic backstory with his. I think they hint towards his family dying, and that's mm. why I want to bring back like, you know, powers I can remold yeah. death and stuff. Yeah, um, I I like the aspect of him. He's doing what he's doing because he's sort of been. He's in a way he's been turned evil by the ancient one. Yeah, yeah. He's become disillusioned and everything, and I do really like that aspect. Um, like when, when it's revealed that the ancient one is drawing power from the dark dimension, he just storms and is like, "Hey, back it!" <laughs> he does, yeah. <laughs> um, uh. so yeah, I, I, I enjoy him, but I wouldn't say that he is up. He's one of the better, best ones. Mm-hmm. Again, he he's sort like... of for me, he's middle of the road for the whole MCU. I think. Yeah, he's, he feels kind of like a, a Phase 1 origin movie villain in some ways. Mm, yeah. Because I think, I think a lot of the Phase 1 villains are, for the most part, quite endearing and charming, but they're not really the highlight of the movie. I think even in the first Iron Man, pretty much, in my opinion, like kind of perfect film, he's not the highlight by far in that movie. <laughs> or by um, mm. or, or Stan, I think, yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of just villains that need to be there because the story needs a villain. Uh, and Marvel, thankfully, it's not even in the conversation anymore that Marvel have bad villains because they've nailed it for the past like four years of films. <laughs> but mm. yeah, yeah this they've feels... had some pretty great villains for a while. Yeah, um, but yeah, I totally agree in some ways. Um, I wouldn't. I I don't think I would put it in the top ten. I think I would still put it in the middle for me. But mm. I definitely, oh, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I definitely don't think it's like bad or even a fine film i think it's a very good film i do think it de- deserves more praise um yeah. yes victory <laughs> um one other thing i'd like to say is i really like the way that it has a rather unconventional unconventional sort of ending sequence mm, yeah like the the climax isn't like a physical fight in a way yeah yeah it's like a mental he outdoes the villain kind of thing which i appreciate i'm not I'm not one of these people who absolutely hates it when the final battle kicks off. <laughs> so I know, I know, I know my dad for one <laughs> isn't a fan of the big final battle. Mm, the big CGI battle. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, 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 I can, I'm absolutely fine with them. But I do appreciate when a film does something different. So that's mm. another another plus for it. I think. It also brought out a pretty iconic meme in some ways. <laughs> Dormammu. Yeah. Dormammu, I've come to bargain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forever ingrained in pop culture. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I totally agree that it has it has enough interesting elements to me to make it not just feel like an Iron Man 2 or, a, you know, the second four movie. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, totally agree. Yeah, if you um, would you like to kick off with your first one? Um, yeah, so I, I think I'm going to go for the one, two points and combine two movies into one because of the same series. Um, okay. But I think when you think about these movies, they're often like oddly forgotten about, even though they mm. weren't that long ago. Um, I'm going to say The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. Okay, um, okay. I think these films are heavily flawed, <laughs> especially the second one. Well, I, I think when we're talking about these films being not the best, I think most of us will be talking about the, the second one, which is in many ways a, a big mess. <laughs> um, a really big mess. And the studio behind it, Sony being Sony, were just... There's some really weird leaked emails that we saw of like people 
I think we went through it on the podcast before, but I think it was like <laughs> something about some producer on like some sort of flight and he's like having a daydream and he's like, he emails a head of Sony about this film. And he's like, oh, we need like a, a you know, rave, like electric, electric rave music and like, we need all this stuff to like, yeah, with the kids. We need YouTube videos. We need a, and it, it just, it just goes on and on. Like the most, it feels like that meme of Steve Buscemi as a teenager. Like he's a, he's his own age, like forty years old, but he's in a teenage outfit and he goes, "What's up, fellow kids?" <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's a really good. That's a good, good analysis. <laughs> um, it, it feels like that, and Sony are oh, Sony, and it's, yeah, they're just sometimes not the best at producing big movies sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But these films, I do think, especially the first one, and there are definitely moments in the second one uh, that I wouldn't even call uh, just, oh, good things and bad movies. I would generally call them some of the best things in the genre for me. And I think a lot of that boils down to Peter and Gwen. Um, mm, who definitely, are, definitely. I definitely think that when people talk about the best comic book movie relationships and even friendships I guess um, you definitely hear Peter and Gwen definitely Peter and Gwen definitely comes up like easily I remember in the first you know top three um, and I think for me they are my favourite comic book movie relationship um, they're only really rivaled by Steve and Diana in Wonder Woman and the second Wonder Woman um, and I think there's so many great moments between these two that feel like a Mark Webb film um, compared mm. to a Sony product <laughs> that was aiming for all the cool things that kids like. Um, <laughs> and I think there's so many scenes, especially in the first one, and um, where they are just like talking and it's such a weirdly naturalistic relationship. And it doesn't feel like it's a pure romance, so that makes sense. It doesn't feel like they're just romantic partners. Like they feel at the same time like best friends. They feel like, I mean, I think a big point to be made is the fact that in the main Spider-Man universe, Peter didn't really have any friends of, his, of the same age, aside from Gwen, when they first get to know each other. So it's not just like, oh, girl, her boyfriend. It's also like his first friend. <laughs> um, and it mm-hmm. feels incredibly pure and also realistic. And, and obviously, I think everyone, no matter how many flaws that second movie does have, People often talk about, I still talk about to this day, like my parents, for example, they still talk about how Gwen dies at the end of that film and how much they couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, even though they couldn't really tell you what happens in the rest of the film because it was, you know, a lot of things happened in that film. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's going like, I mean, there's so many weird choices in those films, but I feel like if you just, if you just took um, the Gwen and Peter parts and let the villains be, you know, multidimensional you know, real people that Mark Webb was definitely going for because there is deleted mm-hmm. scenes online. There's a lot of deleted scenes online of the first one, especially where Kurt Connors is, he has a family and he has like a strained relationship with his kids and there's so much kind of backstory to these characters that didn't really get to be put on screen because Sony wanted there to be like a, the mystery of how his parents died and nobody cares. <laughs> um I doubt Mark Webb even cared because in the first movie he just said, no, we're not doing it the last half of the movie. Because, um, like, in that first movie, the parents' mystery is, like, the beginning of the plot. The parents' mystery is the entire exciting incident of the entire thing. And by the end of the movie, 
no one mentions it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think for me, I, for me, Sony doesn't really care about it. I'm totally fine with that. In the second movie, they clearly went, no, bring it back. Let's solve this murder mystery plot. I'm like, why? I don't care. And the second one, it's so weird for a Spider-Man film to open with a plane. You know, with a plane fight with like Peter Parker's dad. Um, I, I I can't. I honestly can't. It's it's just, it feels like a Jason Bourne film. Um, <laughs> it, I, I never in the cinema the first time I watched it. I feel like I went to like the wrong film. It's just like it just it doesn't it doesn't mix well. I don't really care about how his parents just like died or disappeared. I care way more about like what effect it had on Peter which is what I think works about those films, uh, how lonely he is and why that uh, the parent the parents dying is kind of like a void that he has to fill with, you know, being really irrational and kind of being kind of an addict teenager. Um, but, yeah, it's... It, they're messy films. I'm not saying they're both, like, masterpieces that have gone unnoticed. <laughs> I'm just saying there's some really beautiful things in these movies, and I think they need to be reckoned, and especially Andrew Garfield, mm. especially Andrew Garfield, who I think has really gotten a bad deal. <laughs> um, I feel so bad for him because there's so many interviews um, where he's just talking about how he loved the character of Spider-Man and wanted to do the character right, and he talks about how, well, that guy's compromised, <laughs> and what he's essentially saying is, well, Sony did it, and they weren't good at it. <laughs> um and it's just heartbreaking. There's one video that's really, really heartbreaking. Where it's like a, it's like it's like cell phone footage, and it's um, him signing autographs. And one person says, "I think you were the best Spider-Man." And the way he reacts is like, "There's no way anyone could actually honestly say that to him." And he kind of like shrugs it off, like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> like, no, no, people do love you, just not the films you were in. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's just a shame. Do you agree about any of these points? <laughs> I, I I completely do. I think he got he got a rough deal with the Sony ones, mm. and not that it makes a difference, but I I do have a lot of sympathy for him. Mm. Not that Andrew Garfield cares what I think, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think he got he got well and truly he got well and truly shafted by them. He really did, yeah. <laughs> and because he could have been. In in a in a better film, Mark Webb could do what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It could have been incredible. I think we I, have yeah. glimmers of that in the first film. Like I, I really like Amazing Spider Man. I think particularly the the relationship between Peter and Gwen, as you said, mm-hmm. I seem to remember specifically one scene on a, on the rooftop. Yeah, yeah, which is particularly well done, and just the relationship between characters is is. You know, it's great, and there are a lot of good castings in there. You know, you mm, think about yeah. the, 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 the two lead characters in this Spider-Man film are Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. Two of, you know, you, you look at that now. <laughs> they're both, I think they're both Oscar winners. I think Emma Stone definitely is. Andrew Garfield might be nominated, I think. Yeah, I know, I know he was definitely, I think I'm positive he was nominated for Hacksaw Ridge. Mm, yeah. Whether yeah. he won, I don't know. And Emma Stone definitely won because... It was her name card that caused the whole Oscar <laughs> debacle. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but, yeah. And, obviously, we've got the Spider-Man 3 coming out this year. So he could come back? <laughs> um, I, th- I think I think it looks like he's going to be coming back. Mm. And I, I personally would... I would look... 
if, if we're doing a live action Spider Verse film, I would personally look more forward to seeing Andrew Garfield back than Tobey Maguire. In some ways, I definitely agree. Yeah. I mean, I look. I I I love the Maguire films. Mm. I feel like I have to get out of the way before I, I move <laughs> on. Um, <laughs> but I'm very much of the mind that maybe they should be left as they are. Yeah. Like mainly because they have the ending. Yes, there was the whole Spider-Man Four. Sam Raimi wanted to do it to go out with a bang, mm-hmm. and I would love to have seen that. But at the end of the day. Spider-Man 3 rounds off the story. Yeah, yeah. Have, I feel like... I feel like the world owes Andrew Garfield <laughs> the shot to appear again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The Sony definitely owe him that much. The, mm-hmm. world, the world owes him another chance to put on that Spider-Man costume. And if we are going to get a Spider-Man 3, I would... I would... Again, a Spider-Man 3 multiverse type thing. Hmm. The minimum requirement for me is if you're putting Andrew Garfield in that, have him properly say goodbye. Mm, yeah. Either that or maybe set up some way of maybe having an amazing Spider-Man 3 in its own world. Yeah, I but mean... At, at the very least, let Andrew Garfield go out with a band because God knows he deserves it. <laughs> yeah, he really does. And, and let him properly say goodbye to it. Mm, yeah. And, like, I mean, the, the annoying... Fact of the matter is, with Amazing Spider-Man Two, is it ends on a cliffhanger, <laughs> um, kind of. I mean, it's not. It kind. I guess it kind of wraps up in a in a semi kind of way. It kind of says that Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker got, got over the grief of of Gwen dying and then became Spider-Man again, but it feels so rushed. <laughs> um, and I generally think that as as messy and terrible in some ways that that film is. I do think the last 20 minutes from Gwen's death and like, I think the Green Goblin and Gwen's death and then the grief and then him coming back. I think that's kind of like a perfect short Spider-Man film. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's the ending of a two and a half hour mess. <laughs> um, so it feels very tacked on and kind of just like the director got to do what he wanted to do at the last minute um, sort of thing. And it just feels like simultaneously like his ending was both rushed and never actually ended. Because um, they obviously thought that it was going to be Sinister Six movie and then Black Cat movie maybe and mm-hmm. then the third movie. So and that didn't happen because Sony didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think I totally agree that. I think for me, the weird thing with Tobey Maguire and the Raimi films is that as much as I love those films and like literally one of those movies is one of my favourite films of all times, um it's hard for me to be like excited for that character coming into a different franchise. Mm-hmm. I just want to see Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4 if I'm going to see anything. I, it, and similar with Andrew Garfield to a certain extent, um, I would just rather see a Mark Webb in making Spider-Man 3 that was just their film um, rather than having him pop up in Tom Holland's universe because I don't know what they add in terms of story. I don't really get why they're doing it, honestly. Aside from popularity and you know, it, it's going to be a it's going to be a big news story when that trailer comes out. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, if if they reveal it, that is. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean these have yeah these these two films they deserve more love and I think they deserve a bit more uh, recognition because I, I think it is a genuine. This is like a genuinely, if you talk like with general pe- audiences that don't really keep up to date with these movies, 
if you say Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, the likelihood is that they all go, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Because <laughs> it's just like a weird middle child between an adored pre-MCU trilogy and then the MCU popular version. Um, but yeah, I, I just think these, these movies deserve a bit more love and a bit more. These were these were good movies that were just needed needed help <laughs> from a better studio. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. Different studio, it's a different ball game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you alright to move on to the next one then? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with um another comic movie. Three in a row. <laughs> this is my this will be my last comic movie that I've got on my list. I've got a few others. But this comic movie is Birds of Prey. Mmm, yeah. A film which I feel like has had one of the most unfair rough rides I've seen in recent mm. in recent pop culture, I think. Yeah. It's, it's something that happens a lot. Films get dragged through the dirt, through through the through the mud. <laughs> but this was sort of dragged through the mud a little bit and then just dropped. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> And this is a film that I really enjoyed. In fact, so much so that I'm gonna we're rewatching it tonight. Oh, really? Okay. And it's a film that has such energy and such vibrance to it that I just can't believe that it's been as forgotten mm. or as dismissed as, as it has. I'm not claiming it's a masterpiece. Mm. It, it it has its it had its it had its flaws, but it's just so enjoyable that I I don't really know why. There is the lack of love for it that, that there is because yeah. you have but what what is so far the iconic version of the iconic performance of Margot Robbie. And it's incredible to me that she's only appeared as Harley Quinn twice. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> even even before Birds of Prey came out and around the time of Birds of Prey, I was thinking, yeah, Margot Robbie has as uh, Harley Quinn is one of the all all time great <laughs> comic book movie castings, mm-hmm. and then I had to stop myself and think, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm basing this opinion off Suicide Squad. <laughs> That's to tell you how good she can be in the role, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, she she's honestly so good. I can't wait for the the Suicide Squad from James Gunn. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what he's going to do with her. But I think it's something that we said a while back. I can't remember what episode it was in, but I think something you said, and it was that we we have the best version of Bat's Harley Quinn that we can get because she she's been set free in a way. <laughs> I I don't mean that as in narratively she's been set free from the Joker, which is obviously a major plot point from that film, but more the case that there isn't the sense of the and I'm going to get super film theory about this right now. <laughs> there isn't the aspect of the male gaze. Mm, yeah. In the in Suicide Squad, she is I'm, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say disgustingly sexualized and objectified. I would personally I would find it much easier to stick up for David Ayer if it wasn't for this aspect to, to Suicide Squad. Yeah, it's kinda of one of those that choice, really? What do you yeah, mean, that cause, shot? <laughs> yeah, because there is the shot, which... Yeah, yeah. You know, you know what you know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. I yeah. say the shot. There's many shots like that. Yeah, yeah. There's many shots kind of like that, honestly. There's, 
And even other than just the shot choice, it's also the outfit choice. <laughs> Why is he wearing any of this? <laughs> Disgustingly over-sexualized in Suicide Squad. And the fact that she's had the chance to have the role and not have that cloud over it is great because, you know, it's, for me, it's an iconic performance in Birds of Prey. I'm pretty she sure that to... he's... I uh, appreciate that he's uh, producing Birds of Prey and some... I think she's producing, like... A, she's got a whole production house together, I think. Oh, um, is she? And I think she produced and kind of had a hand in the actual creative, you know, storytelling of Birds of Prey. Um, yeah. So it feels far less, like... And I don't want to be just mean to David A, but he did direct that movie. <laughs> um, and he, yeah. it feels less like an oppressive kind of force is making the character into something that she would have wanted it to be. Um, yeah, it's like... It's like um, we don't, I don't want to start something with David I, even if he isn't listening. <laughs> I don't want to be too aggressive to him, but at the end of the day, you know, they re-edited the footage, but you still shot that footage. Or he still <laughs> shot that footage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. It's. I think the Harlequin character. I think for me, even though I did think her performance was really good in Suicide Squad, it was one of those things where it was the problem of the movie was that no character was really a character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they were at most likable personalities that were just in the same room for a bit, um, and the movie was just all over the place. Even though like the plot it was, when you think about the plot of that movie, it's fairly kind of simple, even for. I mean, it's simpler than Guardians of the Galaxy in some ways, that even though people compare it a lot, it's the characters are literally in the same city, walking down the same, the same street for the entire movie. Shooting um, the same googly-eyed. Yeah, yeah. And it's surprising how much that movie feels like a mess. <laughs> like, it's a pretty... I wouldn't say grounded, but I would definitely say it's somewhat small-scale compared to an Avengers movie, I guess, um, movie. Yet it feels like such a... A fast-paced, weirdly edited, and just, just not working on many, many levels. Mm-hmm. Movie. What's the blame? All the budget on the blue light into the sky. Yeah, yeah, as you do. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Birds of Prey for me, it feels like, uh, it felt. I remember it like five minutes into the film, I was thinking like, thank God, um, because I could feel like I could actually, with confidence, now say that Harley Quinn as a character is like perfect like Hugh Jackman level casting mm, um, yeah. and that film I agree it has its flaws I do think the pacing is a bit weird and I think that the non-linear kind of structure can kind of go against the actual mm-hmm. feeling of the film sometimes I feel like but at the same time it's definitely unique for a superhero team movie to not necessarily get the team together in the first 20 minutes and then have them like be mean to each other until the end of the film um, it's rather they all meet for the first time at the end of the film and it feels kind of like a third act clash and it just it feels like everything that could have sort of came together finally came together um, which is different compared to usual team superhero movies mm-hmm. um, and it's just so colourful and John Wick kind of action <laughs> um, the dialogue is so witty for the most part, and I mean, you and Gregor, you and Gregor is great. I fucking love him. He's <laughs> just doing his thing, isn't he? Just... Oh my god, it's so when he's um going around this his apartment, he's going through all those things, and he's like, he goes through that shrunken head. He's like, he's like two thousand years old. He's in the living room now, and he just goes, "Ew!" <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, he's having fun. He's having fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and I totally agree. This film deserves way more love, and I think it's. I think we haven't really talked about it because it's a bit of a, a terrible subject that I hate talking about because people that do it are terrible. Um, there was definitely a part of that, you know, we're not watching this movie because it's a female movie, mm. <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah, um, it was really unfortunate how it was undercut by that. Yeah, and it got to the point where it was not getting as much money as they thought it would get. That it started. I think they they renamed the movie to uh, Harley Quinn: Better Prey. Mm, they to, did. Because yeah. originally it had quite a long name, or there's a change it's a long name? I think the original name was um, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that got changed to Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Underrated film. <laughs> really is, yeah. <sighs> Have you got another one to move on to? Uh, yes. Um, I was going to go for a Marvel one, but I feel like I'll wait till later because we've been okay. <laughs> we're doing three Marvel films now. Um, um, I'm going to go for uh, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, have um, you seen this at all up, recently? Up front. Mm-hmm. I a while back I decided that I'd try and make my way through the Fast and Furious films. <laughs> I watched one and two. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed them enough. Yeah. I got maybe 20, 30 minutes into Tokyo Drift, and that was about four months ago. <laughs> okay, so this is an uphill battle. <laughs> I. I think the last thing, the last thing of Tokyo Drift I saw is a race in a a car park. Hmm. Yeah, that's it's like, like the story car park. Yeah, it's. I'm not saying this movie's good. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm. I'm, I'm saying it's it deserves a bit more respect, I guess. Mm, um, okay. In at least within the realms of the Fast and Furious franchise. I think that's probably a better way of putting it. I'm not saying it's a good film. I'm just saying it's... When you think of the Fast and Furious films, maybe try to think that Tokyo Drift wasn't just like the awkward middle child. Because <laughs> um, like people... I think a good, a good parallel is people often think of it as the Incredible Hulk of the franchise. <laughs> um, it's kind of the one that didn't have any of the main characters that we know. Um, it only had Han, who was kind of the supporting character. Um, mm-hmm. Although, uh, um, seeing it, I was able to finally learn, five years late, the importance of the reference of DK. <laughs> that character. Because yeah. when we used to... When some of my friends from high school used to play on a PlayStation online or whatever, mm. and I think, what was the game we played? I think it was, it was some sort of racing game. Mm. And one of my friends uh, constantly referred to himself as DK. <laughs> Drift <King>. And... <laughs> That, that must be when I was about I know, five mm. years ago, maybe. Maybe even more. <laughs> and only upon watching this uh, Tokyo Drift four months ago, the start of Tokyo Drift, did I finally understand what that reference meant. <laughs> Drift King. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, sorry. You say. Um, it's a running joke, actually. I think we have a common, I guess. Uh, it's a running joke in me and a friend called James. Shout out to James, I guess. Um, and we. 
every once in a while because <laughs> the main character you mustn't notice from your 40 minutes of watching it mm-hmm. um, the main character's accent is terrible um, this awful mm-hmm. southern weird forced accent yeah and um, the, from the from the 40 year old who's look, <laughs> you know the 17 year old who looks 40 yeah yeah <laughs> it's one of those castings you know 2006 wasn't a good time um <laughs> But yeah, me and my friend James, every once in a while, we look at each other and say, GK, Donkey Kong? Nah, Drift King. <laughs> <laughs> and every time we try and say it with more of like an incoherent uh, speech pattern, like the main character has. Because he is, so it's like, Drift King? Nah, drunk out. And it's just like a, it's, it's a movie that, it's, it's the first, I would say personally, I think it's the first solid, actual, good movie in that franchise. Really? Um, I think the first one is funny. <laughs> um, it's, it's 2001, like, just in a time capsule. Of, yeah. yeah you know, is. people wearing the most ridiculous clothes. Um, mm, every I class. Wasn't, and, you know, just, I, I wasn't really old enough to be able to recollect what 2001 was like. But after watching this film, I can safely say that I now do. Mm. <laughs> um, and yeah, every car has some sort of neon thing going on. and Oh, and the main plot is stealing DVD players, which is interesting in comparison to what we're doing now in the franchise. Infinity um, Stones? <laughs> or DVD yeah. players? Um, and yeah, it's just... I think it's the first one that had like a solid a solid, uh, a solid, clear arc for the main character, which wasn't that much present in the first two films, I would say. It's a character in... It's a fish out of water story for the most part. Um, it's a character learning an entire new way of racing. Um, and it's kind of way more engaging than the last two films because the last two films, their races were very much just people driving in a straight line. <laughs> so... And, they, and I remember um, they used to go into CGI colour going past the screen land. Ooh, yes. Which is an interesting choice that I do not like. Um, and in the third film, and for pretty much the third film onwards, we got, you know, quite a lot of real cars doing real stunts. Um, and, I mean, not anymore. <laughs> um, you know, we've got cars going over rooftops, rooftops and all this stuff, but... It was the first time, you know, it was real racing for the most part, and people mm-hmm. actually doing the drift, the drift work, um, and yeah, I don't, even, I don't even think it's particularly great or even good. I just think it's something about it. It's kind of like, I mean, it's, it, I think probably the best way of describing it for me is a guilty, guilty pleasure movie, <laughs> where similar to Emma Mia sort of thing, <laughs> no matter you where. Just compared. Tokyo Drift to Mamma Mia. I just did, yeah. Get used to it. Oh, God. <laughs> um, it's changed. Of, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's one of those things where if I see on TV, on my 52, it's home, I guess. Um, <laughs> okay, I understand. <laughs> similar to The Mummy, you know. It's always on my 52. Um, Mummy, uh, Love Actually and Tokyo Drift. Yeah. What a trilogy that would be. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, no matter what, it was on for a bit. I watched the entire thing. I I love Hound to death. He's one of my favorite, just cool guy characters of all time. Um, he has this great line where he's looking. He's like on the rooftop, where he's looking at all the people of Tokyo, and he's like, 
life's life's simple. You make a choice and you don't look back. And the way I say it sounds real dumb. The way he says it, so cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it almost terrible, but sometimes good. Very good movie. <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> you can move I, on. I, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know how to follow that up, really. Yeah. How do you, you follow Tokyo Drift up? You, you don't. You just don't. Uh, thank you for listening and <laughs> uh, oh. don't move on <laughs> we can do I'm going to go for a film I don't know if you've seen it I think you have I think we've, I think we've mentioned it to each other before a film called Wind River oh yeah yeah so it's written and directed by Taylor Sheridan mm-hmm. um, and yes for those of you listening I can talk about something that isn't Marvel or Star Wars <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so Taylor Sheridan if you don't know he wrote um, Sicarian is that the name? Sicarius Sicario? Sicario yes the name yeah yeah. it just didn't sound right in my head for a second there yeah, he wrote Sicario <laughs> and he wrote um, Hell or High Water mm, yeah. and he directed this one himself it's got a bit of Jeremy Renner a bit of Elizabeth Olsen Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favourite underrated films. Yeah. yeah. I can't believe how not talked about this film is. It was definitely a... It just went past everyone's radar, I think. Mm, it did, and which is, which is odd considering, you know, the people that are in it. Yeah, yeah. You know, these... I'm pretty sure this was after Age of Ultron. Um, yeah, it might have been. I, I think, think so. it's 2017, I think. Mm. So, you know, they're, they're both... Very marketable stars. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's sort of flew under the radar. Um, first off, it's a really beautiful film, as in visually. Mm, yeah. But while also being very harsh. Yeah. Like you have this almost Arctic-like environment where the characters are. So much snow, so much wind. <laughs> so many trees. <laughs> we do a little storm wind. <laughs> yeah. And it's so beautifully shot, and it just feels... It feels both calming and dangerous, which, you know, it's, mm. uh, it's really beautifully captured in the film. Mm. Yeah. Um, you also have some really good character arcs or character dynamics with Elizabeth Olsen and Jeremy Renner's characters. Mm-hmm. But they have very distinct standpoints. One's a guy who's, you know, lost his daughter and his family's sort of fallen apart. He's been hired to, or not hired, but he'd become involved in solving a, a murder similar to that of a, of his daughter. Mm-hmm. And you've got Elizabeth Olsen, who's this... Um, is she FBI agent? I think she's FBI agent. Yeah, I think so. This young FBI agent who comes down under, under-resourced and all that. Mm. And she has to try and, has to try and solve it together. Um, yeah, and it's a really... It's a slow burn thing, I think. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a quiet uh, character drama for the most part. Yeah, it is. Um... A little bit mumbly here and there, which I know some people don't like. <laughs> my mother is one of them. <laughs> my mother. I've never referred to her as my mother before. What's <laughs> odd? Anyway. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, it's a really beautiful shot. Really beautifully acted as well. You can really feel the drama from Brenner's performance. But you have all this. And you also have a little, little cameo from John Burnsall. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. I always forget <laughs> when I watch it. 
And it comes <laughs> to the flashback, it's like, oh my god, it's John Bernthal. <laughs> yeah, he's. I mean, it's kind of a a Marvel cast for some reason. <laughs> all mm. Yeah, it's it's odd whenever whenever he's in a film, he always has like a really mind role, and it's weird to me. He's in Sicario. Yeah. Yeah, he did, and he's also in a. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but I saw this like movie on TV. Half of it, he's in Night in the Museum too, like for five. Oh, seconds. he is. Yes, it's so weird. <laughs> I saw it. Yeah, I think I caught it the other day as well. He's like a black and white mafia. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What else was he in the other day? I saw. Oh, um, <laughs> he's in Ford v Ferrari as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's... But yeah, he popped up with it, and then you. You have all that sort of slow-paced, beautiful drama, and then it just erupts into a massive Tarantino-style <laughs> kill-off where only yeah. two characters survive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't a... spoil it for the, for those who are you know those who want to watch it, but yeah, I'd, I'd thoroughly recommend it. It's a film that yeah it sort of flew under the radar. I know we talked about. It. I saw it on Netflix one day, watched mm. it, and it's really gripping and. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I definitely agree that that, that last gunfight kind of thing that breaks out is, it's kind of an even heavier, like kind of a bit more surprising version of the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood sequence at the end of the movie, because mm, that yeah. movie's kind of it's kind of humorous, a kind of a bit, a bit more brutal. Having a big fight sequence isn't that much of a. I can't believe that could happen in this movie, but this is this is full on for the most part a really quiet. Uh, character drama that's all about some really dark stuff and in like the part, like last 20 minutes or so there's like a amazing kind of like this breaking out into a big fight <laughs> um, and it's so surprising it's just like a I just love it when films do that and it's kind of almost changed genre in like the last 20 minutes <laughs> um, it's so great yeah I definitely agree this movie deserves a bit more love and I think it's weird because of the writer and director um, they're I mean, all of their previous films, for the most part, got highly acclaimed and highly, you know, people watched them, I think. Like, Hell and High... Uh, Hell and High Water, is it? High yeah, Hell? Hell, Hell and High Water, I think. Yeah. Um, that, I, from my memory, was quite a big film for a little bit, and everyone kind of watched it, and critics loved it, um, and Sakari was a big hit. Um, mm-hmm. So it's weird that this movie just kind of, with a Marvel cast as well, didn't really do well. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Yeah, it was really weird to me. Yeah. That's 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 one that I want to throw into the to the silver hat. Yeah, it's, um, have you got another one then? Um, so I think I'm gonna go for one that I want everyone to watch desperately and kind of see it through this lens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Orson's Twelve. Um, Orson's Twelve. Yeah, the sequel to Orson's Eleven, which is a, a kind of a classic. Um, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, uh, Matt Damon, uh, heist film. Steven Soderbergh. Um, that first film is very much well loved. Um, I don't know one person that's watched it and not said that I ever really liked it or loved it. Um, so I think the second one is surprisingly universally not well for the most part hated. <laughs> um, people really don't like this film, and I think for the most part it's because it's not really a heist film. Um, it kind of has heist elements and it kind of starts out like a... I think the genius of it for me is that it's... The first film was... You could definitely see it through the lens. I think people produce for heist films a lot. 
where people see it through the lens of being a, a story about filmmaking. Um, so it's about a director hiring a crew who are very good at specific specific jobs, who try to execute a, a really you know elaborate plan to steal something, and it's kind of you know it's kind of popular reading in contemporary pop culture to be like oh high films are really a, a metaphor for filmmaking and Inception is definitely the biggest one for that because it's literally you know implanting an idea to make an emotion <laughs> is the heist um and i think if you look through blends in autumn's 12 that the film is kind of like what about if you're forced to make a sequel <laughs> and you don't really want to make the sequel um but the studio is forcing you to so you just do whatever you want anyway um and under that lens Orson's 12 is like for me my favorite in the trilogy um it's it's such a weird weird film in some ways it starts out pretty normal heist film sort of stuff it's we learn what all the characters are and how they're doing after the first film um and like an inciting incident happened with the guy the villain from the last film and also the people have to go to europe to do a different heist and therefore um you know do this do the first one again but a bit different is <laughs> one of those things at, at the beginning at least and then at some point it's just like a weird heel turn thing where about like half an hour in i think um they do the heist that they were doing and what we all expected to be like the last minute final heist mm-hmm. um and then they kind of just say fuck the heist <laughs> um, and kind of just have like a battle with some guy who just wants to prove that he's the best person at stealing things um, and again under the lens of a movie about movies about filmmaking it kind of becomes like the audience who love the first film and want to prove that they're better than the, the director because they know the first film so well um, and under that lens I fucking I just really love it <laughs> and also 12, I think, as well as not being a direct kind of high sequel, it was also kind of not really liked well because it got really ridiculous. <laughs> um, in like the final hour or so of that film, so many weird, weird things happen. And I think the weirdest one is for uh, Julie Roberts is in, these, in this trilogy and she is playing a character the entire way through, she is actually, you know, a character in the universe of Orson's Eleven, Orson Twelve, Orson Thirteen, and in this film, someone says to her, "Well, you know, you've always looked a lot like the actress Julia Roberts," <laughs> <laughs> and then so the character, so Julia Roberts playing the character is playing the character playing Julia Roberts mm-hmm. to uh, infiltrate this museum place for her because celebrities can just do that I think I guess um and she goes in there and not only that but the thing is so many things like go wrong in this film that it's kind of like almost like a, a wacky comedy <laughs> it's because at the first one it's just like a they do run into problems but for the most part it's kind of a, a smooth really slick heist that doesn't really have that many problems going against it it's just really kind of engaging and kind of um, you know, it's kind of smooth and like a perfect heist film. And then the second one is like people like in their mid forties and they're just kind of having a midlife crisis and they're questioning their own existence and they're just 
failing at doing heists all the time. <laughs> um, and just at the end, it's just like, it's just an amazing film of just, what a weird way to make a sequel where it starts out like a normal, the first one again, but a bit different sort of sequel. And then it becomes a weird deconstruction of the first film. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just love it so much. I think it deserves way more praise. And it's my favorite in the trilogy. Um, and I just love it so much. And in the, in the third, the third film, the and it's I think the third film is way more like than second film because mm-hmm. it's just it is the first film again, but a bit different. Like they go to Las Vegas again, they do another heist in the casino. Um, the villain is another uh, famous person who's from the Godfather, Al Pacino this time, um, <laughs> and. They pull off a smooth, slick heist that doesn't really go wrong, and it's very cool. And again, I like I like the third film, but the second film just so weird. And I just, I think everyone should just give it a chance. And it's just so good. I mean, it's so good. <laughs> have you seen this song? I unfortunately have not. Ah, oh, please. All see I'm it. <laughs> aware of is what you've told me. Mm, yeah. Um, I keep keeps on popping up on stream and whatever. I just keep thinking I've got to watch that. <laughs> Why have I not watched that yet? <laughs> oh, please get to it. It's so good. It's going to be um, on mission. Yeah. But what, what's Birds of Prey first? Definitely. Yeah, Birds of Prey um, first. And then... <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I just I just think it's a great film. And I think it's a pretty great sequel, actually. And I think it's a... Oddly enough, considering it's almost universally hated, I think it's a perfect example of how to do a sequel. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> Great stuff. Yeah. Can we move on? We can do. Um, I've not got many left. Um, I'm going to go for one. I don't really have that much to talk about, but I just wanted to you know, to mention it if we're doing underrated things. Mm-hmm. And that is a film that came out a couple of years ago called Christopher Robin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, there were sort of two that came out in consecutive years or sort of similar time frame to each other. There's this one and there's another one called Goodbye, Christopher Robin. Mm, yeah. Now, Goodbye, Christopher Robin had Donald Gleeson in it and Margot Robbie, mm-hmm. which is a decent enough film on its own. Yeah. Um, But then you have the sort of, I think, I think it was made by Disney, this one. Mm-hmm. Christopher yeah, Robin, which you might know it best because of the <laughs> means of Wayne Pooh <laughs> coming up behind you and McGregor and going General Kenobi <laughs> and then all those lightsabers igniting. If you haven't yeah. seen that meme, then you're probably wondering what the hell I'm talking about. Oh, definitely go see that meme. <laughs> You've got to just, just search it. It's You will not regret it. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is Ewan McGregor as a Christopher Robin who is the kid who is friends with Winnie the Pooh, Tigger and all the boys. Mm. All the gang. <laughs> all the gang, yeah. The lads. Um, the boys, boys, boys. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, and he, he, he's older and he's being visited by Winnie the Pooh, who looks great, by the way. Yeah. I would just like to say how adorable little Winnie the Pooh looks. I love the design of the, 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 the characters because it's like a... They look like real, actual like dolls, but they also look kind of a bit not too real. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a weird design choice, but I really like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's visually it looks great. You also have Haley Atwell, 
as Ewan McGregor's wife. I think you have um, Rob Riss throwing kids in it as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's just such a sweet... Nostalgia, it's definitely quite nostalgic. Mm. Right, it's a lot of nostalgic elements. But it's just so sweet. A lot of the humour is great. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot of traditional, not traditional, but a lot of stuff that you, you see with the poo do and you think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what he would do. Yeah, that's my guy. Um, in terms of <laughs> films like it, the best thing I, I can compare it to is maybe Paddington-esque. Yeah, it feels like say, a Paddington movie. It's not... I, I'm not going to say, because I know Paddington 2 is legendary for me. It, yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's on the same level as them, mm-hmm. but it's it's thoroughly enjoyable. It's, it's got good emotion to it. I think it packs quite a good punch. Great performances from everybody. It looks great, and it's just so it's just so heartfelt and so touching. Yeah, I really it's, um, it. it reminds me a lot of like, I mean, it's a very good example of, but I think it reminds me a lot. Of, um, it's it, it, I don't know what period of the time this was, but a lot of movies that came out were about comedy movies were all about dads that were overworked and didn't you know talk to their children as much as they should have. And then at the end, they say "fuck you, work," and then go see their children. Yeah, <laughs> um, it very it very much is that sort of thing. Yes, but, it is. Yeah, but like with Hugh McGregor and Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> it's it's oddly just the best thing. It really is. And I yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say it's as good as Paddington or Paddington Two. It's just kind of in that league. I think mm. of just adorable sweet <laughs> um oddly nostalgic for a character i didn't really know that well when i was a kid really like i didn't really have a winnie the pooh backstory in my childhood mm-hmm. um but in the film it feels like i should have <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah i love this film a lot and i think it's yeah i definitely agree that it was it surprised me actually like, i thought it was going to be just kind of disney half assing it <laughs> sort of thing yeah yeah and it definitely wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It had. It's got a lot to it, hmm. and yeah. you know, it's definitely underrated for me. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a good comfort movie. I'd describe it as probably. Yeah. It's a rainy Sunday Sunday movie. Yeah, yeah. A good <laughs> a good time when it's raining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. sort of rounds that one off for me. <laughs> yeah. Have you got another one to move on to? Um. Yeah. So returning to the world of superhero movies. <laughs> um. I want to talk about a little film that no one I know likes at all. <laughs> um, Hulk, 2003. Um, oh, okay. Have you seen this film at all recently, maybe? Recently, no, but I've seen it. Okay. This film is so weird from the ground up in some ways. It's, it's for the most part, uh, almost like three-hour-long film, by the way. Um, but also, for the most part, it's kind of like a weird... Like it got kind of like a Wind River, <laughs> a quiet character drama that's very subdued. Not many, not much comedy. Not much kind of you know obvious char- characteristics. Um, every character is kind of almost whispering. <laughs> um, it's it's a film which includes. I mean, everyone. I think even if you haven't watched it, do know about the weird editing of the movie. Mm-hmm. In which, you know, they kind of said, we want to make a comic book movie. And in that, by that, they really did mean that they were going to have, you know, 
split panels and splash pages and people people would be like on you know two different sides of the room and then through the tricks of editing they'll be you know in the same exact space so, <laughs> or a character will freeze frame and then the fire will go around and then you know it's it's a very much a comic booky movie visually but actual script wise and character wise is very much you know a drama <laughs> it's, it's a weird mix it's really it's, it's a weird mix like I, I think in some ways like a Richard Donner or Sam Raimi movie could get away with that sort of editing but a Hulk movie that's by Ang Lee that's really quiet and really subdued was a bit weird but I kind of can't help but love it <laughs> and uh, the Hulk himself is just I don't think it's a bad CGI character. I just think they made one weird choice. And I think everyone knows about this. Um, the green is just so odd. <laughs> like yeah, the, it's an odd colour. Yeah, it's... I mean, it, <laughs> you can't say that it's not green. but, but it's, it's like a luminous. Yeah, it's like he got... It's like... I mean, I guess it works... I mean, I guess it makes sense because he is radioactive, but it just looked like radioactive waste. <laughs> um, so like a glowing sort of green that doesn't really match anything in reality. Um, mm. It looks like... And... Um, do you remember the old uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja T- Turtle cartoons? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know the intro or the, the, the start of it where they, you know, the origin story of them getting swept down the sewer. Oh, yeah. It looks like the colour of the radioactive waste. <laughs> yeah, it has that effect, definitely. <laughs> I think that's probably one of the reference reference materials that we're going for. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's a it's a weird film that I, I watched recently for some reason. Um, like, again, a rainy Sunday. Um, In lockdown. Yeah, yeah. Um, I watched it because I was a bit, I was a bit curious because last time I watched it, I watched it, with a, I watched it pre-lockdown with a friend, um, and we for the most part were drinking towards it and just kind of making fun out of it. Um, so I, in my memory for the, for quite a while, it was kind of a dumb movie that we you know made fun out of. Um, but then on rewatch by myself, I think everyone thinks this when you watch a film by yourself, it's a very much a different experience. Hmm. Um, yeah, it is. And I watched it by myself. And I was like, "Oh fuck!" I kind of, I kind of love the majority of this movie, <laughs> um, and yeah, it includes so many weird things that I can't help but just be like, "You know what, Angley? Sure, why not?" Um, <laughs> such as Hulk fighting poodles and pit bulls. Um, Nick Nolte as a villain who is just having the most fun in the world. He is just grumbling and he's just moving like a cartoon. All the time. Um, the last, the big end battle isn't uh, what you would expect from a Hulk film. It's not Hulk versus big other Hulk monster. It is Hulk. It is Hulk versus the clouds. <laughs> um, Hulk fights the clouds, and then he fights lightning, and then he fights a big rock, and then he fights the water. Um, and here's the thing: it's not. It's not the. the it's not bad. <laughs> um, However, one thing I would definitely say that I think even people that hate the movie can agree on, maybe, is that Danny Elfman's score is amazing. I love the theme tune of this movie so much. Um, have you listened to it at all? 
I have no recollection of it. I'm sorry. It's it's and I recommend it so much. It's just, it's just an amazing, amazingly weird, melancholy, but perfect for the whole kind of theme. Um, and it helps it helps me the app a lot, in my opinion. It helps those move those sequences. I feel a bit kind of what are we doing? <laughs> kind of it makes them a bit more stronger. Because um, for those that don't know, this film is like it's not just that the Hulk is the Hulk because of big explosion. It's because of like. His father gave him some sort of DNA testing thing, and then mm, that... I remember the, the flashbacks. They're really odd. Yeah, yeah, and for the most part, the story isn't about Bruce Banner. It's mostly about his dad. <laughs> um, the prologue to the film was like entirely the dad, the dad character, just doing his flashback stuff about Bruce and stuff like that, um, and then the and then from that. The movie is just kind of wishy-washy, kind of, oh, we've got time. We've got all the time in the world. We've got three hours. Oh, let's just do this. Just do that. <laughs> and it's just kind of, I couldn't help but really respect it. And I think it's one of those things where it's, in the modern day, looking back on this film, it's one of those things where I can't help but be like, this would never get made now. And, it's, and I mean that in a good way. And I mean that in like a... As much as I love the MCU and I love what DC are doing at the moment, I really can't wait to see what DC are doing, actually. I think they're going to do some really interesting things. Um, I just kind of miss the days of, like, just some weird one-off movies that, you know, were... They got the big budget because the director was a big name. Because um, back then, the, your, comic, your comic book movie being good depended on how famous the director was. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you got uh, whatever director to make a Daredevil film, you got Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. Um, you get Sam Raimi. You get Sam Raimi Spider Man. <laughs> um, and that you know, it's very much different time from now, where it's kind of the Kevin Feige ness that's kind of the main star, I guess, in mm-hmm. some ways. Um, Big but tough. yeah, but yeah, that back then, you know, Ang Lee gets a Hulk film. It's going to be great, <laughs> and then people were surprised. When they got an angry Hulk thumb, <laughs> that's how that's how I can put it. Really, it's it's full on is an angry Hulk thumb, and I think that's why I love about it most. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of great. I kind I really love it. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> do you want to move on? We can do. I'll go on to my last one now. Mm, okay. My finale, which. It feels weird me saying this because I am aware that it won several Oscars. Oh, okay. So a film that I don't know if you can class it as underrated. I personally think, given discourse around it or what discourse I am aware of, I think it is pretty underrated, and that is the Lame Miz film. Oh, okay. Now there are obviously a lot of criticisms of this. There are, yeah. <laughs> Um, one of the one of the way from the looking at, at the surface level, it is nearly three hours long. <laughs> yeah, it is. There's a lot of jumping about, a lot of a lot, a lot of time jumps. Mm. People had a problem with Russell Crowe singing. <laughs> it is odd. <laughs> it is a bit Pierce Brosnan and esque <laughs> Yeah. Um. Personally, I actually quite enjoy his songs. <laughs> I think they're all right. Hmm. But it's something that I just can't help but admire. Because even though yeah. it's not loved, mm-hmm. 
the fact that they're able to transfer Les Miserables from this grand epic stage musical, which I don't know if, if you've seen it on, on in a, in a theatre or in, in a stage musical format. I haven't, no. <laughs> you haven't. It is, it is exactly what it is. It is epic and it is incredible. Mm-hmm. And it's so difficult to translate something of that nature into a film. You need not look any further than Cats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the same director. Yeah, it is. Um... <laughs> same director, I can't believe that. <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah. Um... And to, you know, to take that on and to try and translate it, I think it does a remarkable job and it is an achievement that they are able to do that and it be what what this is because I I quite like it. I mean I even really like it. I I I like it, I think. <laughs> I not, want to, I I've only seen it once. Yeah, it's not it's not it's difficult to say because you compare two different things, but I'd say it's not as good as the stage version. Um, but a lot of it works. I mean, the decision, I'm, I can't remember, I can't remember who told me this. It might have been you that told me this. But some of the, a lot of the songs aren't dubbed over. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like, they're just sort of one take. I don't know if they're one take, but I know they are. You know, the audio is the audio that they were seeing at the time. Yeah, like live recording. Yeah, particularly um, the one, the Dream to Dream that Anne Hathaway did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, particularly that one. Um, I remember the first time I watched this. I think I've watched this. About, I think I've watched it a couple of times. I watched it fairly recently. And I really enjoyed it on that time. But I also watched it when I was a lot younger. Mm-hmm. And my parents were like they they were sort of watching it, and I was like, "Yeah, let's watch it." And they were like, "Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> do you do you know what this is about?" I'm like, "Yes, it's Wolverine." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was there for uh, you yeah. but I think Hugh Jackman is incredible in it mm, yeah. for me if you were to, if you were to do this, this stage musical and you were looking for a Jean Valjean it is Hugh Jackman mm. I would say it was the perfect point it is I'm not going to say it's the but I think it's up there with Hugh Jackman's best dramatic performances mm, yes. he is fully into this He's absolutely in there. He's going for it. <laughs> he is. Um, there's a lot of other good performances. Eddie Redmayne, which I think people sometimes forget he was in this. Oh, yeah. He also, the chairs, which is a great also, great version. Also, Sasa Baron Corn for a bit. <laughs> yes, he is. He's the innkeeper person. Yeah. <laughs> Doing a very Sasha Baron Cohen role. Yeah, very, a very wacky character. Mm. It was either going <laughs> to. In my mind, it's either him or Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> the only two people who could pull that off. Yeah. Um, again, for the, for the most part, the music's really good. And it's just something that... I feel often gets swept under the carpet. I completely understand why. Because mm. it is... It's, it is bloated. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a lot it's of stuff. It's bloated, it's long, it's a, quite grim a lot of the time. Mm. But... It's something that if you were going to make a film of it, you would think, ah, oh, it's just not going to go well. Mm. Yeah. Because it's a long thing, it's a big thing. But for them to have make it and have it be decent, <laughs> decent to good, 
I think, <laughs> is an achievement. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's a strong movie. And mm. I mean, it's one of my, uh, I think out of all the musical adaptations, I think it's one of the better ones. Yeah. Um, I think my big problem with it is it's one of those films that makes every visual choice you could ever make <laughs> like in every every scene is some sort of wacky weird visual kind of technique that you wouldn't usually use in in that sort of scene and it's mm-hmm. to me it's, it's always been a bit distracting <laughs> um for me i think one of the big things is some of the songs are some of the songs and some of the way that they're shot it's a bit uncomfortable because the characters are like looking into the camera at me for like two minutes long. And I'm like, why? Why are you looking at me? <laughs> um, this, I mean, it's just filled with kind of this, these, these weird visual choices that maybe kind of go, I don't know about this. <laughs> and then, and every once in a while, there's be some really weird, I would say, honestly, like kind of pointless shots with, there's like, and there's kind of a few conversations where there's a lot of empty space. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of like yeah there uh, is yes I yeah. completely understand that there's Hugh Jackman and I think Eddie Redmayne talking at one point in some sort of room and the shot is like <laughs> the shot is like it's almost like they're trying to shoot the window and they accidentally forgot <laughs> that Hugh Jackman and Eddie Redmayne were on shit and they kind of just like oh shit get out, <laughs> get out of the shot get out of the shot <laughs> um, and it's kind of yeah it's it's just weird how many choices are made in that film that just don't to me at least make sense um and i think it's one of those things where i think it looks great on a lighting in like a light in a uh, color grading and lighting way in a Mm -hmm. sometimes shot composition way but other times i'm kind of watching and kind of thinking why are you doing this (laughs) um but other than that i do think it's a very strong for the most part movie um Mm. yeah yeah, I'd say it's not. I'm by no means saying it's amazing, but I think for what it for what it tries to do, it's it's good and it's enjoyable enough. I think it's an achievement. It's definitely epic. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an achievement that I think is underrated by a lot of people. Mm. Um, not perfect. In fact, far from perfect, but mm. good. Yeah, it unfortunately became kind of a poster, uh, poster movie for being like. Oscar bit kind of stuff. Yes, yes, um, it was. That was one of which, the one of the most guilty yeah. films for that. I think. Yeah, I think Tom Cooper has definitely been somewhat guilty of that, <laughs> and I think even Cats. <laughs> I just want to ignore it. Before that film actually came out, the way people like the way they marketed that film was just like a this is going to be an Oscar winning Tom Cooper film that everyone's going to love because it's Tom Cooper and he makes mm-hmm. you know pristine. Um, English drama films are, you know, the most real things you can ever make. <laughs> um, yeah, I do think I do think it's one. Of, uh, it's definitely a good movie. I would say, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that's me. That's me out. Oh, okay. Do you have? I more? think I've got I've got one last one. Okay, okay. Um, I'm going to go for. Hmm, I'm going to go for Batman Returns. Oh, that returns. Interesting. Yeah, because it's one of those things where I, I I kind of package it in sometimes a bit too much with like the first oh it's the first four Batman films which weren't very good in my opinion, um, and they're kind of a bit, kind of a bit one note 
I would say, for the most part, those first four films, mm-hmm. um, what they do try to do is be kind of, you know, the biggest blockbuster superhero thing of its time. And for that, in that, especially in the 90s, you know, they definitely got that and they were definitely doing some pretty remarkable things in terms of set design and kind of lighting. And from going, I mean, going from like gothic atmosphere, Tim Burton to wacky, Soul Schumacher neon was kind of like, you definitely nailed the, both, both of those things. Weird that you did both of them, but you know, you did you did it well, I guess, visually. <laughs> um, <laughs> but other than that, I always kind of think of them as one note films, but Batman Returns, I sometimes forget, I do actually really kind of like. <laughs> um, and I think it's the most non one note one in, in that in those first four films. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually some sort of subtext behind what the characters are doing, and it has a bit more. I don't know. I think out of those first four films, it's all it's all the only one in my opinion that I kind of go. That's purely what that director would have made if he didn't have a studio behind him. Um, it feels like a Tim Burton film. And not like uh, Warner Brothers got the big director of the time to make a film for them, mm-hmm. um, sort of thing. Uh, I mean, I mean, the biggest thing you could talk talk about on that point is the fact that they were making McDonald's toys for this movie at the same time as having the penguin spell out black bile <laughs> <laughs> and Catwoman being like a latex, you know, very weird suit that was very much over the top, kind of. Kind of sexualized, I guess, but there's just something unsettling about it. <laughs> yeah, there's something unsettling about the entire movie. Honestly, I think yeah. <laughs> um, there's very little action in the film as well. There's not really Batman doesn't really punch anyone <laughs> in the film, and honestly, I don't. I've never really been that too bothered by that in mm. these superhero movies. I don't really it, mind. <laughs> yeah, it, it's odd in that doesn't spend that much time punching, but you also don't really spend much time with Batman either. Oh, yeah, that's definitely the bigger problem, I think. <laughs> um, Until maybe the romance with Selina. Mm, like, yeah, the romance with Selina is... In fact, I'd say maybe the first... Definitely for the first two slash three of these Batman films. Mm, and maybe even yeah. for the full four. The only thing <laughs> that I can really think about in terms of emotionally having Batman involved is maybe the plot where Alfred nearly dies. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Which, believe me, it's strange uh, to hear that coming out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, yeah, but there's something just... It just feels unrestrained. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's... I mean, the opening prologue is a child, a penguin child, being thrown away into the river by his parents, and the entire prologue is Danny Elfman's music just having a blast <laughs> um, whilst we watch this child, you know, be swept away into the rivers and then to penguins, because you know penguin. Um, <laughs> and then... Because of course Tim Burton interpreted that literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh... <laughs> uh, metaphor? What's, what's, what's a metaphor? What the fuck do you mean? He's not a penguin. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's it's an almost greater film. I think it's, it has its flaws, definitely. And I think it's... I think the Max... Max... Shriek... Shriek... Shriek character... Mm-hmm. Played by Christopher Walken is kind of a distraction from the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Batman, you know, the main character, isn't really in it that much. And when he is in it, he's not really being a character. Um, for the most part. Um, but I do think 
for me, the Penguin and Catwoman side are so weirdly and darkly interesting mm-hmm. that I can't help but find it just really fucking cool. <laughs> um, and I think one of my favorite scenes in an entire genre of comic book movies is that scene where Selena Kyle kind of destroys her entire room and kind of just goes fucking mental um, with Danny Elfman's music just having, again, a blast. Um, and there's just so many weird stacked upon each other moments of just pure dark whimsy. Um, I mean, there's a scene in this movie where Penguin bites some guy's nose and blood squirts everywhere. And then after this, the penguin immediately eats like cold raw fish. Um, <laughs> again, this is a weird thing that this film was, you know, marketed in McDonald's with kids' toys <laughs> um, and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's super grim. Yeah, it really is. It's so dark and weird. Um, and again, at the end, I love how out of nowhere, even though it was always a bit wacky and weird. How at the end there's like an army of penguins with missiles. <laughs> I just think that's a genius choice, honestly. Uh, that's cinema incarnate, you know. <laughs> I love the idea as well because back then it couldn't have been CGI, so therefore, for the most part, they got some real penguins in. <laughs> and just said, strap missiles to them. Yeah, and just kind of went, you know, go over there, penguins, and just do that. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's probably the only one. Um, it's not even my favourite film, you know, in the Batman filmography, um, but it's just kind of like, oh, this is an interesting take that I would like to see more of if I could, but, you know, Batman 3 became Batman Forever, and then Batman 4 became Batman Robin, so, you know, studios are really smart, I promise you, they know what they're doing, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's all I've got to say on that. <laughs> oh, um, do you have any more to add? Not really, not really. Um, no other, no other films. No, I mean, I can. I guess I'll quickly mention uh, Cloud Atlas. Uh, it's kind oh, yeah, of. Yeah, I, I I've mentioned that before. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a. It's it wasn't well loved when it came out, and I think it's became somewhat well loved as time has gone on. Um, but it's by Wachowskis, and I love them so much. Um, and I think every film that they've made aside from maybe Jupiter Ascending I at least at the very least you know really 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 like um, and Cloud Atlas is one of my favourite films of all time honestly um, it's a three hour epic film with so many characters and so many time periods and so many weird things going on and so many loose connections that go on between each plot line um, but it's so like kind of heady and kind of full of themes and subtext, but at the same time has that Wachowski's thing of like, yeah, it's got subtext, but it's also really cool. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, I just want to mention that because I think it deserves a bit more praise and a bit more love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the, I I, I know very little about Clyde Atlas, but one of the few things that um, that sort of sticks out in my mind is that it has a load of actors in makeup and a a lot of heavy makeup and a lot of heavy out there design that mm. I would not expect to be in that situation. <laughs> like is I think is Hugh Grant in it? Yeah, yeah. He's a, he at one point is a cannibal in the future. <laughs> that's that's He's... not something I expect from Hugh Grant. <laughs> yeah. And also at some point Tom Hanks is playing like a Tom Hanks is playing a, a 
a Cockney London uh, like gangster character. <laughs> uh, there's so many, yeah. There's so many just casting a character because how funny would it be to see Tom Hanks do this sort of thing. <laughs> um, uh, and I just love it all the way through. I mean, I watched it. Maybe it was a mistake to do this on my first watch. I think especially. I watched it with my parents, and this film was like. It's so confusing and so not, I guess, um, how do you put it, uh, uh, mainstream kind of what you what would expect from a blockbuster. It's not really a story that's has a third act, to be honest. It hasn't really got uh, a set up a payoff uh, midpoint. It's kind of just six different time periods somewhat connected by the same actors playing different characters. Um, and there's a lot of meaning behind what they're doing. At the same time, a lot of really, really cool editing tricks that are still just amazing to me that, you know, they combine so many different moods and atmospheres by just editing it together really well with some really good music. Um, yeah, it's it's just an amazing film, and I can't believe people didn't respond to it as much as I did, even when I, even though I watched it, people that didn't like it around me. <laughs> um, yeah. It's ah, uh, it's so good. <laughs> I'm going to keep an eye out for it because I know you've mentioned it before as well that you've really liked it. Mm, yeah. I'm going to see if it is uh, anywhere I can watch it on. It might have been bad for the entire world. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I did see one reviewer, um, Mark Maud, the BBC guy. Um, mm-hmm. I saw a video of him, and he's like, he's like a some sort of sort like a subjection of what videos he does. And it was like movies, revi- nah, movies revisited, and it was Carl Atlas. And I watched it, and he was like, "I hate Carl Atlas on my first watch. Second time over, it's pretty great." <laughs> so, like, yes, I was. I felt like I won a war. <laughs> <laughs> victory. Oh, yeah, it's a victory for me. Um, yeah, I recommend it. Really do. <clears throat> yeah. Good, good. Keep an eye out for it. Yeah. Um, and I think does that bring us to the end then? I think so. Yeah, unless you've got any, uh, anything else you want to put in. I don't have any more. That's, yeah. uh, that's all mine. Yeah, I think I'm done as well. So. Okay, do, shall I bring this home? Yeah, okay, go for it. Okie dokie. So, we really appreciate you listening. Um, we hope we, we've helped provide perspective on some films that you were, uh, maybe you didn't like or you haven't seen, or we've, maybe we've motivated you to discover something. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Maybe we've done nothing for you whatsoever and you hate this entire thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe you, know. you just needed something to send you to sleep. Yeah, yeah. At yeah. which point, you're probably already asleep by now. So I'm going to yeah. whisper things. You know, you like that episode of Friends where... Um... <laughs> oh, yeah. Does <laughs> um, Rachel give Chandler some sort of tape? Yeah, some sort of hypnosis tip. <laughs> but it's like, I'm a strong, independent woman or something. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, we're, we're now going to mess with your psyche. Yeah. Um, so, for those of you not asleep, thank you. <laughs> you think they want to wake up and be like, I want to have a penguin. Got, I want to get a missile and put it on a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed. Like Henry said at the start, you can find us on Instagram at cinema. At cinema. No, no, that's not the right, right way around. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at the Marvelous Cinema. No, there's no the. You no, can no. find us on Instagram <laughs> at the Marvelous <laughs> Cinema Podcast. 
You can also find us on Twitter at Cinema Marvelous. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do reviews. We do all good stuff. Mm-hmm. Original content. We hope you can go check us out there. You could, if you could also leave a like or a comment or even a review on this episode or this podcast, it would be amazing. It would mean the world to us. Yeah. I've run out of breath there. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Have a lovely day. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye.